Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. It's great to see you. As Rob said, if you're a guest here with us today, welcome. Maybe you're traveling this weekend or just visiting here today. Um, great to have you here. Great to be uh, together. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. And um, yeah, just truly a privilege for us to, to gather this morning. Um, I want to say, just as we watch that, uh, that video of, of those middle school students, really some of our next generation students getting baptized, uh, we got to, our family got to sit in on that that night. And hearing their stories about how they've come to know Christ and what God is doing in their lives, I just got to tell you, um, what a significant thing. I mean, we're seeing the next generation finding God and they're following him. And so as a church, I wanted to tell you that because you're a part of that. Um, when we get to raise up the next generation to send them out and to do great things for God, um, you're a huge part of that. Whether you're serving with your time or your talents or how you're giving of your resources with your generosity, um, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are a part of us reaching the next generation and raising them up and really seeing them go out and, and really leading the, the most significant things that they possibly could, the things of God. And so, um, so thank you for being a part of that. It's, it's pretty exciting. Well, before we dive in this morning, I, I want to pray together, but um, even before that, I just want to uh, mention this in light, of, um, in light of Memorial Day weekend here. Um, knowing many of you um, have, uh, are serving uh, currently in our armed forces or on Memorial Day weekend, uh, a time when we remember those who have given up their lives to serve our country, um, we just want to say thank you. I was talking to a dad this morning who just sent his son out to boot camp this weekend. And um, so we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the sacrifices that you make. And, um, you know, the freedoms that we have, I think we, we take them for granted. You look, though, on a global scale, and it's pretty amazing, the peace and the freedoms that we live with. And so we just want to express our gratitude to you this morning and, um, and really even just pray for you. So, so would you pray with me, and then, um, then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, thank you that you love us. Lord, we're grateful that we can gather in a place like this. Um, and Lord, we do. We think about the people uh, in our midst here this morning, um, the men and the women uh, that are serving in our armed forces. Father, we are so thankful for that. Lord, um, help us not to, to forget, but Lord, help us to remember when we see a person in uniform to, to say thank you. Um, thank you for the sacrifices you make. And so, Father, thank you for just the, the blessing you give us to live in this country. And, um, Father, I pray for the parents here today. I pray for those that have a son or a daughter that's maybe serving in our country or they're overseas deployed right now. Lord, we just pray for their safety, God. We pray, Lord, for your grace on them. And, Lord, we pray then you would also use them um, to help us be a nation that truly honors you. And so, Father, we pray that that would be the course that our nation takes, one of exalting you and honoring you and making you known. And so, so Lord, we just lift up those people to you today, and we're, we're grateful for them. Father, I pray now as we open up your word um, in the book of Jeremiah this morning, I pray, God, that, that you would do a significant work. This passage is, is such a big deal. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just sink deeply into our hearts this morning, and, Father, you would do a great work. And so we pray this. We commit this time to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, summer is uh, officially upon us. Um, maybe you are gearing up for a road trip, or maybe you've got one planned. Um, this week I was uh, just filling up the truck with gas, and I uh, ran into another family from Brookside, and uh, they had their car just packed up, and they had just pulled the kids out of school last day, and they were heading out of town on their summer road trip, all excited and everything. And so, so maybe you've got one of those in your mind. I was thinking about our text for this morning, and, 
And you know how when you go on a road trip, maybe if you're gone, let's say you're gone seven days, you know how there's certain days that are more important than other days? There are certain um, moments that you just remember, times on the trip that you just go, oh, when I think of that vacation or that trip, that's the moment that I think of. Um, This uh, year, we've been on a journey. We've been on a trip of our own as a church. And we've been going through the Bible together. So we started in the book of Genesis, and um, we've given out all these reading plans, and we've said, hey, let's read through the Bible together, and then on Sunday mornings, we'll teach through the content that we're reading through that week. And so we started in Genesis, we've journeyed through, we've covered a lot of topics, we've seen how applicable the scriptures can be to our lives, um, and it's, it's been fun, it's been a great journey. But you know how it is when you're on a trip? Again, there are certain moments that are just a really, really big deal. Certain moments that, man, you want, to take, you want to take a picture. You want to slow down long enough. You want to post this moment online because it's like highlight real type stuff. This morning, as we journey through the scriptures, when we get to Jeremiah chapter 31, this is the highlight real type moment. Um, the four verses that we're going to look at this morning um, are so significant. I think they're some of the most important verses in the Old Testament. So important that they're the only verses that are quoted in their entirety in the New Testament. Parts of them are quoted several times throughout the course of the New Testament. These verses are huge. Now, this is why I draw this mental picture of kind of a, a road trip for you this morning. What we're going to see in Jeremiah chapter 31 It's like this. Imagine that we're on a road trip and we're going through Arizona and and we've loved it. The weather's been nice. You know, the dry heat, it's great. We got out of the car. We took our picture by a big cactus and it's a great trip. But what would even be better is if along that trip, along the, the journey through Arizona, we stopped, we got out of the car, we walked a little ways and we went to the Grand Canyon. But at that moment when we stood on the rim of the Grand Canyon, we'd see something like this. This would be what the view would be like. It'd be like just beautiful, just amazing. Just kind of one of those moments on this trip, on this road trip to Arizona, this would be a highlight reel moment. It's the kind of moment that you just go, wow. Now nobody who visits the Grand Canyon and stands there on the rim and looks out at the the vast array of God's creation, nobody goes, hey everybody, I just want to get your attention. Everybody, I know you're looking that way, but look this way, look at me. I got to tell you about my sales number this, this year. I just got to brag on myself a little bit. It's been incredible. You don't do that, right? I mean, there's something much bigger going on, right? This morning, when we get to Jeremiah chapter 31, particularly verse 31 through 34, what we're going to see is it's this wow God moment. It's this moment. It's a Grand Canyon moment. It's a moment where you're just kind of reading through and maybe you're even feeling like if you're doing the reading plan, you're like, man, we're rolling through the prophets and this has been some thicker reading, right? You get to a verse like this, and I'm telling you, these verses are a game changer. You might be here this morning, and you'd say you're a spiritual seeker. You're really seeking out truth, and I commend you for that. You're you're so smart to do that, to nail down that part of your life. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you would say, I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. What I love about this Grand Canyon moment that we get when we get to Jeremiah 31 is that what happens is it boils it down right down to what is at the core of Christianity. What does it mean for me to to truly know the God of the universe? What exactly does that look like? And what we're going to see is this. It is a game changer. We're going to find out this morning that you and I, we have full access to God. And we're going to really look at everything that 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 means. So I want to give you a little bit of background before we get there. Um, If you're turning in your Bible or on an app, here's how you find the book of Jeremiah. Just go to the middle of your Bible, about, and then flip to the right. Maybe about four or five books and you'll uh, you'll come to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be in chapter 31 
And, um, and again, just going to unpack four verses for us. That they're so huge, though. So a little bit of a background, kind of an on-ramp for us to really think about what's going on in the text this morning. One of the things that we've been talking about as we've journeyed through the scriptures is we've been seeing this pattern with the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, right? They go through these seasons where they obey God and then they don't obey God. They go through these seasons where they're, they're walking with God and then they're giving God the cold hand. And they're, they're, they're totally not walking with him. But the thing that we see over and over again is that God continues to pursue them. God continues, we see this thread, he continues to pursue them, but yet they forget God or they walk away from God. You might have read this week, Jeremiah 18, he says this, yet my people have forgotten me. They worship idols. They fall into the same traps as their ancestors, meaning for years and years and years and years and centuries, this is what's been going on. Now, we learned last week that the nation of Israel, at this point when we jump into the text, they're divided into two kingdoms. So we've got the, the northern kingdom referred to as Israel, made up of ten tribes. Now, at the point when we get to Jeremiah chapter 31, the northern kingdom has been overtaken by the Assyrians, and so they're in exile. They're living in slavery. And so now we go to the, the southern kingdom. That's who Jeremiah is writing to, two tribes. They're referred to as Judah. Now, if you're living in Judah at this time, you know that doom is coming. You know that the Babylonians are the new world force. Things are not looking good for you. You know that things are not going to end well. But when we get to verse 31, it's a Grand Canyon moment. And it would have been such a breath of fresh air for the people of Judah. Because what Jeremiah does is this. He gives them this incredible hope. He says, hey, something's going to happen in the future. And if you're the people of Israel, if you're God's people, he's saying, it is incredible. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to unpack these four verses. And I think you're going to find it just absolutely amazing. And if we really grasp what's happening, I think it will really change our hearts this morning. So look with me at verse uh, 31. It starts out this way. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So he starts off, he says, the days are coming. And let me ask you, have you ever made a statement like that? Maybe you look at your current situation and you say, you know what? The day's coming when this won't be true of me anymore. The day's coming, we're going to pay that off. We're not going to have to deal with that anymore. The day's coming when fill in the blank. Maybe for you when you were growing up, maybe your parents said that to you. Maybe times were tough and, and your parents just kind of pulled a little family meeting and they said, Hey, the day's coming, we're going to be out of this season. Dad's going to be home more. Mom's going to be home. The days are coming when things won't be quite so tight. Whatever it was. You ever had that moment where you just say, hey, there's, a, there's something new. There's something better that's on the horizon. That's what Jeremiah is saying. And, and then he says this toward the end of that verse. He says, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Now that word covenant, that is huge this morning. You're going to hear that word over and over again, and it's important that we understand what it is. A very simple definition of what a covenant is, is this. It's a bond that creates a certain kind of relationship. Another way to think of it like this is it's, it is a relationship that is structured, that's, that's structured by specific terms. That there are things that define that relationship, things that are true about it. Now know this. Beginning with Adam and Eve, all the way through the scriptures, we see that God is always dealing with his people through these covenants, through these covenant relationships. From the time of Adam and Eve on up, 
I officiated a wedding this weekend, and like at every wedding, the couple stood before me. But what was true about the couple is this. They loved each other before the wedding day, right? I mean, they were in love. That's why they were there. But on that wedding day, when they stood there, what they did was this. They made these vows to each other that took their love to a commitment level. It took it to a much higher level. Their vows defined their relationship. Their vows defined the bond that they had with each other. And so in this case, they said things to each other like this, for better, for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health. Always, they said this, we will love and to cherish. And then this, how long, how long will these terms, whether we're sick or whether we're poor, whether, whether however life is going, how long will I love and cherish you? Here's the terms. They said, till death do us part. What they're saying is forever. That's the, that's the, that was the structure of the relationship. Very intimate. This morning, what we're going to see is this covenant that God is talking about, it is so close it is so close. It is so personal. There are times actually later in this text where God refers to himself as a husband. And he's, he refers to his people as, as his bride. It is that intimate. It is that close of a relationship. We get to verse 32 and we see, okay, this is though what the covenant will not be. And so he says this, I will, it, or, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. He's saying this, that, that the, the people of Israel, they, they broke my covenant. I made a covenant with them. I made promises with them, but they've not been faithful. They've not kept with the terms of the agreement. They've not kept with the terms of the relationship. Now, what's important to know is, again, that God's people have always lived in covenant relationship with him, always. And so it's, I think it's helpful to understand what are the covenants that came before this one that's called the new covenant? What are the covenants that came before the one that I'm projecting to you this morning is so grand, it's like a Grand Canyon moment? What are they? I want to mention three of them to you. The first one I want to mention to you is this. God made a covenant with Abraham. And I think as we understand these three, it helps us understand the significance of this new one. So first of all, God makes this covenant with Abraham, right? He says, Abraham, through you, through your family line, I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to make you and your people, I'm going to make you not into a small nation, but Abraham, I'm going to raise up your generation and the generations after you into a great nation. And so we see Abraham, he responds with faith. Abraham trusts God. And then we see that there was a covenant. Fast forward in the timeline of the scriptures, we see that God makes this covenant with Moses. And it's a covenant where, God, you know, Moses goes up Mount Sinai and he gets the Ten Commandments. And, and so he comes down and he says, okay, this is the law. That covenant's oftentimes referred to as the law. And, and so Moses says, hey, follow these things and it's going to help cultivate a great relationship with the God of the universe. But along with the Ten Commandments, God also says in that moment, he says, I'm not only just going to give you the Ten Commandments, the law, but I'm going to show my love for you because what did God also provide? He provided the, the tabernacle for them. He provided a place for them that when they did not make the cut of the law, when they did not obey the law, they would go to the tabernacle, they'd go to the priest, and there was an altar there. And, and so the, 
the, the priest would take an animal and, and sacrifice the animal, and then the blood of that animal would cover, or biblically the term is it would atone for their sin. Now, now here's what we see, though, over and over. The people would do that. They would go, and they would sin, and they would try to keep the law, but they couldn't keep the law. The law, the whole point of the law was to show mankind that we need God. And so they would go then, they would go into the tabernacle, and they would make a sacrifice for their sins, and their sins would be atoned for. But over time, even the people of God, they stopped, not necessarily stopped that habit of going to the temple and making sacrifices, but the scriptures record that their hearts became hard. And so while they might have done those things on the exterior, their hearts were far from God. The law served to point them, though, right back to God, even though at times they gave God the hand. Yet, this is so important, we see this thread, God remains faithful. You ever had that moment where you just realize, wow, God, even when I'm not faithful, God, you're faithful. We see that. And then lastly, the third covenant, God makes this covenant with David. And he says, hey, David, out of your family line, I'm going to raise up a king. But this king is going to be different. This king is going to be perfectly righteous. This king is going to be born, and the reason why he's going to be born is because he's going to be the savior of the world. He is going to save. He is going to restore. This king is different. He will make everything right. And so that's the the three covenants. Again, I think these are important because they help us see, okay, that's what, when we say old covenant, that's what we're talking about. There was a covenant with Abraham, there was a covenant with Moses to point out the law and how we need God. And then thirdly, there was that last covenant where, very closely to this new covenant, where God said, hey David, through your line I'm going to raise up a king. And he will be righteous, there will be no one like him before. And so then we get to verse 33 in Jeremiah 31, and it talks even more about this new covenant. So here it is, verse 33. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law, this is totally different than anything they'd ever heard before. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. It's interesting, in Matthew chapter 5 it says this, verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, Jesus speaking, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. What Jesus was saying here is this. He's saying, hey, I'm not coming to do away with those covenants, but I'm actually coming to fulfill them. The law and the prophets. That old covenant, I'm ushering in a new covenant. Those people, they broke the old covenant. And now I'm coming in. I'm stepping onto the scene. I'm ushering in a new covenant. And then he gives some specifics about this new covenant. Notice these. We'll put verse 33 back up again. Look at this. This covenant's different. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. What God is saying is this. He's saying when this new covenant, when it happens, the day is coming, Judah, when this happens, the spirit of God is going to live inside of you and I'm going to write the law not on two stone tablets like I did at Mount Sinai. I'm not doing that. This is so much more personal. I'm going to write the law on your heart. I'm going to write the law in your mind. And so when your conscience says, no, 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 shouldn't do that, that's, that's the law. That's, that's God. That's, that's God speaking to you. He says, I'm going to write it on their, 
on, on their hearts and in their minds. But notice then what he says as well. He says, and they will be my people. He's communicating, hey, there is something so personal here. It is so intimate. If you felt like the old covenants were kind of cold Israel, kind of lethargic, he's saying, no, 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 not at all. This new covenant is so personal. And then it gets even better. Look at this. Look at verse 34. Writes this. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. What he's saying is, Judah, don't miss this. There's going to be a day when every tribe and every tongue is going to know me. There's going to be a day when it's not going to matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. He's saying, I'm going to make myself known. I'm going to write myself on the, the tablets of your heart. And you're going to know me with your mind. The Spirit of God will live in you. It will confirm who I am to you. It's incredible. This kind of forgiveness to them. And they wouldn't have known this. They wouldn't have understood just how significant this was. Again, this is a Grand Canyon moment. God is saying, I am going to deal with you in a personal way unlike you've ever experienced before. Maybe for you, you grew up in a church culture or maybe even just a family environment where to converse with God, if it ever happened, it was so um, maybe structured or formal in a bad way. You know, it was just kind of rote, maybe kind of stale. What God is saying is this. He's saying, no, 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 I'm going to deal with you as though you're my people. I'm going to interact with you, and it's not just going to be at a distant level. He's saying it's going to be at a, a very, very personal level. This new covenant, it's incredible. It's a Grand Canyon moment. Why? Because the creator of the universe is saying, hey, Judah, and this, this would have blown their minds. They wouldn't have comprehended it probably fully. But the reality, oh, God, you're going to do what? The law is not going to be on this. What? It's going to be that personal? would have been incredible. I love this. John chapter 17, verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Meaning this, what does it mean to have eternal life? It means to know God. Look at the rest of verse 34. Jeremiah continues to lay out, okay, what are the terms of this new covenant? He says, For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Think about this. That means no more guilt. That, that means no more shame. This would have been mind-boggling to them. This was an expression of love from God, which they hadn't experienced in this particular way. It's so good that it draws your heart to God, and it says, if there's any ounce of obligation when you think of walking with God, it takes that and it says, if you truly understand this, it says, oh, how could I even think obligation? When times when I fall into kind of an obligation mindset in my walk with God, I have to just remind myself of the truth. What is at stake? What has really happened? What is true? And when we grab a hold of that this morning, like when we see it in this text, wow, I will remember your sin no more. It is incredible. This kind of forgiveness, this freedom from guilt. It's so as though God is saying, hey, the work of atoning is finished. Judah, there'll be a day when you don't go to the temple. Judah, there'll be a day when you don't enter the tabernacle to make a sacrifice. Judah, there's going to be a day 
when it's finished, the atoning work of God is completely done, and I will remember your sins no more. That would have been just crazy, amazing. When Jesus stepped onto the scene, his life, his death, his resurrection, he completely fulfilled the requirements of the law. You remember Matthew chapter 27? It records this. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And this must have been incredible. It says that in that moment, as he's being crucified, it says that the temple, the curtain in the temple, just it was ripped from top to bottom. And it symbolized this. The blood of Jesus Christ has just been poured out. And that is so significant. It symbolized, okay, the the, the curtain has been torn. Why? Because there is no need for another atoning sacrifice. Your sins are covered once and for all. When you think about this and when you think about the fact of what that means, that means that you have full access to God, that your sins are fully forgiven in Jesus Christ. I hope that what that does is it causes you and it causes me to respond with overwhelming gratitude, overwhelming gratitude, full access to God. It's like having this lifelong backstage pass. You know how you go to a concert and if you got really good tickets, you can wear a lanyard and if you got the right color, then you can go about anywhere you want. You know that? That feels good, doesn't it? It's like he's saying this, you have full access backstage, you're in the green room with the keynote speaker for all you want. You have full access. The benefits of the new kingdom are incredible. New hearts, forgiveness of sins, full access relationship with the God, with God through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, you went through the temple. The Old Testament, the priest was the mediator. What he's saying is that in, in the new covenant, though, it's Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 does a phenomenal job of even teasing this out even more. Verse 11, it says, but when Christ came as the high priest, so there's kind of some comparison going on here. So like in the old covenant, there was a priest, an earthly priest. But it says when, when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and the more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not a part of this creation. Meaning this, God went through heaven to show up on earth to, be, to go through the tabernacle for you and for me. It says that he did not enter by means, though, of, of the blood of goats and of calves, but he entered the most holy place. Here it is. Once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And then verse 14. How much more then? What it's saying is this. It's saying, throw a party. This is a Grand Canyon moment. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator. The reason why this is such a big deal is it wasn't another mediator. It wasn't another priest. This was the perfect son of God. So when we talk about the new covenant, it is a game changer. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Truly incredible. I will set you free from your sins. You will not need to live the way you used to live.
incredible. Do you remember what Jesus said when he stood with his disciples and at the Last Supper and, you know, he took, takes the cup. And we say these words every time we take communion here. It says this, he stood up and he picked up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Again, he was, what was he saying? There is no more need for sacrifice. There is no more need for any kind of atonement other than the one that is about to happen through my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. Why? Because of his perfection. Because of the way he lived. Because he was truly the son of God. Because when he died, he didn't stay in the grave, but he proved that he was God. It's a game changer for us. And what I love about Jeremiah 31 is it makes this picture so clear. You have full access to God. You have full access. The door is wide open to you. God might seem distant to you right now. And I just want to say to you, he's not distant. He offers you full access to himself. Uh, On Mother's Day, uh, just here a couple weeks ago, some good friends of ours had quite an experience at their, at their house. Um, you might remember that uh, on that week, we had some of our first, like, significant rains, which now we're kind of used to, you know. I feel like we should get a boat, you know, like, we're getting a lot of rain these days. But um, their basement that week uh, flooded a couple times, right, just, you know, had some foundation issues. And, and so that Mother's Day weekend, they rented a backhoe, and, and so they're out there, and they're, you know one of those projects that digs up the whole yard, just a huge project. So they dug around the whole back foundation and they're working on sealing this cracked foundation and, and doing all the, the work with that. Well, they got four little kids and mom was gone. And so one of the little kids um, came out at, at one point and actually they had all kind of been playing. And, and you know how it is, you're just muddy and that kind of thing. And, and so their dad said, hey, guys, go upstairs and, and just get your feet uh, just washed off in the bathtub um, if you're going to stay in the house. Well, a little bit later, though, the, the youngest came out, and, you know, dad's down in this trench working on this wall, and he just said to him, he said something about the vent and in the house. And he kind of mumbled, so he wasn't quite sure what he said, so he just ignored it, right? Kept working. So about 10 minutes goes by, and um, little, the little one comes out again, and he says, he says hey, there's, there's, there's like water or something coming out of the vent. And so at this point, you know, the dad, already overwhelmed with Project A, says to one of his other boys, he says, hey, uh, go, go in the house and just make sure there's nothing wrong. But you know how it is, and I can relate to this, you, you know how it is when you're really engaged in a project and you're fully into it, you just sort of stay in the project and you're already overwhelmed. And so he sends his son into the house. 20 minutes later, he realizes, maybe I should go check it out. And so he goes into the house, and here's what had happened. The four kids went upstairs like they were told, and they got the bath water running full blast like any child would do, right? And um, the, the bath, the drain was, you know, was plugged as it should have been, and, uh, and so it's filling and filling. And, and, you know, when you have four siblings, though, it's kind of hard to tell who was in first and who still got to get their feet washed or whatever. And so nobody turned off the water. And... Um, and since it was plugged, the water just kept going over the side. Didn't, like, drain out that top thing. That didn't work out, I guess. And so it just kept going over the top, over the top, over the top for over 30 minutes. And so this little child, what he was seeing was he was seeing water come from the ceiling vent. And then he saw water come from the light fixture. And then he began to see, strangely enough, 
Water was coming down from the ceiling all over in the kitchen, all over in the dining room. It was everywhere. And so this dad, you know, he's in the hole, and he's like, ah, it's been 20 minutes. I should go check it out. So he, <laughs> he walks into the house. I can laugh because he's my friend, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> he walks into the house, and he just sees this flood. The water's just, I mean, full, just imagine 35, 40 minutes of full-on bathtub. It's just coming, and it's just drywall starting to, you know, everything. It's just a huge, huge, huge mess. And so um, here's kind of the, the kicker of the story, though. He sees his kids, and they're in the kitchen, and they've gotten out every small cup and every container that they can possibly get their hands on. He said that there were over 40 containers, and they were trying. He said, my daughter, actually, they had her, she had her teacup set out like this. And seriously, they're trying to, they were doing the best they possibly could to stop this flood. While their dad was about 10 feet away, right? And so mom gets home, you know, and they get the drywall. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, you know. Uh, by then they had the drywall taken down, and, you know, they started, got it all cleaned up. And, and so it's the end of the evening, and so she just, she just says to the, to the boy that was sent in second to check it out, you know, who's a little bit older, closer to like 9, 10 area. She says, hey, um, why, why didn't you go get dad sooner? And he made this statement. He said, I thought we could handle it. Uh-uh. <laughs> you thought wrong, bro. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but think about this for a second. The greatest news of the new covenant is this. You don't have to handle it. The greatest news of the new covenant this morning is this. You can't handle it. I wonder sometimes, though, if God looks at you and I and he says this. It's as though you're trying to fight this flood of your sin and your guilt. And you're trying to fight it, though, with a teacup. And if God looks at us and he just goes, oh, the greatest news of the new covenant is this. You don't have to handle it. You don't have to wear your guilt. Now, you can. You can go through life and you can feel the effects of your shame. and You can do that all that you want. But God in his love and in his mercy, he says to you, you don't have to. And you can't. You don't do a good job of it. Their dad was probably 10 feet away from them throughout this whole 40-minute stretch. All they had to do was just say, Dad! We're swimming in here. Like, just come. Right? Think about this for a second. Your heavenly father, he looks at you and he looks at me. The beautifulest thing about the new covenant is this. You have full access to God. Full access. There is nothing in the way. There is nothing that makes, should make you say, you know what, I'll, 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 Go to God later. No, no, no. God in his grace and in his mercy, the greatest news of the, the new covenant is this. God says, I will forgive your sins forever. You, I am fully present with you. I am writing the law on your mind so that your conscience will direct you. And I'm writing the law on your heart because that's how intimate I want to relate to you. And you don't have to wait. I'm not writing it on stone tablets. This is the new covenant. It is personal. And so don't go try to fight the flood with your teacup. He's saying, you have full access to me. We get this beautiful picture in Revelation that says this. It's Jesus, he's saying, I stand at the door and knock. It's like he's saying, boop, 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 boop. I'm here. Will you open the door? 
receive full access to me. You know, one of the other things that I love about this text, and I think a place that it drives us this morning is this. This is such a Grand Canyon moment because the mediator is not a priest for you and I. The mediator for us is Jesus Christ. And so when you think about walking with God, and maybe you would say, man, I'm I'm sold out. I want to be sold out for Jesus Christ. That is such a good thing because here's the deal. Think about it. It's the perfect son of God became the mediator for you. The perfect son of God became the mediator for me. That is a game changer. He did not have to do that. And so I've just been praying this week, the times when I feel like um, I, I fall into an obligation rut. I've just been praying, God, would you help me to remember exactly what happened? This is a Grand Canyon moment in the scriptures. It's huge. And so, God, would you never allow me to fall into that? But what might my heart be so much more passionate as I really think about who you are? And if I haven't accessed you yet, might you say this morning, I have full access to the God of the universe who loves me, who knows my name, who cares about me, who knows my life? Oh, that's an opportunity. Take that. Don't fight a battle with a teacup. (laughs) Don't do it. Makes for a good story, though. I really appreciate the illustration of these guys. Let me do this. Let me pray for us, and uh, let's just ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And um, Father, I thank you for the mind-blowing news of the new covenant. God, the fact that you would come in such a personal way, that you would write the law on our minds. And so when we we get that impression from you that that's not who I want to become, or I'm doing that, and I shouldn't be doing that, or, oh, I just did that, and... And now I need to confess that, Lord, help us to remember that's you. You wrote that on our hearts. You gave us that conscience. And might that drive us, might we run with so much speed to our mediator, to Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God. Lord, thank you that you forgive us. Thank you, Lord, that you lead us. Thank you that you promise us life. What incredible hope this must have been for the people of Judah. And Lord, this morning I pray for the person that might be here and they would say, I've never understood the gospel, but now I get it. I understand while I can have full access that one day I won't give, if I have faith in Christ, I won't give an account for me, but Jesus Christ will give an account for me. And so, Father, I pray that that person, those people this morning, and know that you can do this. You can just reach out to God and you can say, I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. I want to live for you, Lord. So, Father, we love you. And we pray this uh, with much gratitude this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen.